Welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Root. This is a podcast about... Well, hold up. I want to be part of the intro, too. Okay, go ahead. Uh, oh, n- never mind. You can you can do it. Okay. Uh, like I was saying, I'm Meredith Root, former engineer, CrossFit Games athlete, and owner of Tactic Nutrition. That was the one and only Alex Parker, former lawyer, also a CrossFit Games athlete, and co-owner of Tactic Nutrition. This podcast is about fitness, health, nutrition, CrossFit, business, mindset, and things that grind our gears. Wait, hang on. Ivy wants to say something. Go ahead, Ivy. Ah, she's, she's shy. No surprise there. Our goal is to give you something to think, talk about, hopefully make you laugh a little along the way. Let's do this thing. What up, Alex? Not much. Not much. Yeah, you've you've completed for the day 34 kilometers of running and a PM workout. So that's pretty dang good. Yeah. I'm a little on the tired side and definitely on the hungry side. But not like Snickers bar commercial hunger. Not right? yet. But Perfect if I start there. getting grouchy, then we can just pull the plug on this. I think we should let people hear that. There's like definitely... Uh, yeah, there's another Alex Parker that you guys have no idea it's the true alex barker yeah this always happy alex barker is just the cover-up always the hungry one. always kind of angry yeah um so congrats on your half marathon thank you you beat me i i now own the half marathon record for the parker root household stoked about that you only beat me by 47 seconds your your total time was 134 10 09 134.09. Yes. And yours was 134.54. So I think actually that's 56. 56? You, you said 56. Oh, well, whatever. We'll go with around 45 seconds. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a big, I feel like that's a pretty big 45 seconds. I kind of feel like it's not, but we can agree to disagree. <laughs> I mean, the, the record is like, I feel stand. like I could go and run a half marathon this weekend and beat you. Okay. I mean, there is one this weekend, so. I know. Yeah. I'm tempted. <clears throat> you should. I'll text. You want me to text Mike? I'll text Mike. We'll get you in I don't know. I like, I, but I did run quite a lot, quite a long distance today, so I'm, I'm not as prepped as you would be. Yeah. But I still think I could beat you. I mean, you know, it's all talk until it happens. Mm-hmm. So until it happens, I own the half marathon record <clears throat> for the family. So, I mean, not including your dad. So what went really well? What was like. What was the highlight of doing it? The highlight of doing it, I think, was for the first time, maybe ever, but definitely in a long time, it like everything kind of went exactly like I wanted it to go, like how I hoped that it would go. It went to plan. Mm -hmm. And so usually there's something that comes up and it's not like I was feeling like 100% before it. I was feeling good, but like, you know, my, my hip has been kind of bugging me and, um, you know, it, it, right before a big event, you always start noticing things that are bothering you. And so my hip flexor had been bothering me. I actually skipped my last easy run on Thursday, which was supposed to be like six kilometers. And I was like, I'm just, I'm not going to do that because I want my hip to feel as good as it can be. But then like <clears throat> the morning of, like I'm kind of walking around and I'm like, I think I have a hot spot on my foot. Like, 
on the outside of my right foot i'm like what the heck like like i mean you know that feeling when you have one of those yeah and i get one on the right of my on my right foot sometimes and i was like what the hell am i gonna do if if like my foot is bothering me for this whole thing and then of course you get in it and you don't feel it at all um but the conditions were so the the race was in banff national park um which is an awesome place to run just generally i think it's it's really really scenic and the the temperature was perfect it was like eight or nine degrees celsius which is like look like upper 40s low 50s in fahrenheit <laughs> um and it had been calling for some rain it was dry when we were driving up there but um and it was dry when the race started started raining a little bit at like seven kilometers in um but i don't really mind i don't mind rain as long as the temperature is good i'd rather have it i'd rather if i had to choose between rain and like eight or nine degrees or dry and like 14 15 i would choose the rain Hmm. yeah the puddles don't bother you um like wet shoes i think it would bother me if i was running longer like if i was running a marathon i think my opinion would be different but i i actually i know that it's fine because the other a couple weeks ago i had a 14 kilometer run at race pace and it was like pouring i mean i think you were out there that day too so i knew from that day that i can run at speed in the rain with fully soaked shoes and it's not a problem. So I, I wasn't worried about the rain. I knew it was a possibility. And so when it started raining, it just, it didn't really phase me. But um, the run went well. I started, I guess, in the front group. So I don't, I didn't remember from 2018 how they, I didn't realize that a minute 30 was like the fastest lineup, like the fastest place that you could be. So I was like right there at the front. Um, There's another girl with me and then it was all dudes. Um the first like i mean typical the first one like first kilometer was really quick it was like a like a 4 or 15 pace um cuz you're with people and you're kind of jockeying and Banff, like the trail narrows about 400 meters in so you kind of want to be like not with a crowd of people when that happens so i ran quick to get out like ahead of that um and then settled into around a 4 25 pace for like the first five kilometers. Um, and there was a big group of people, well, not big, but uh, like a, a group running right behind me for the first 5K, which was annoying because it's like, it was a little bit windy and I felt like they were just kind of parked behind me and I wasn't, there was no one in front of me to break the wind. And I, you know, it's courtesy. If you're going to like, like sit behind somebody at some point, you should maybe consider running in front of them. I don't know. Is it? I feel like that's for biking. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's for biking. Hmm. But I feel like the same rules should apply for running. Like, if you're going to drag off me for five kilometers, like, at least give me a, a like, a 500-meter break yeah. every once in a while. But, um, yeah, the, like, uh, I didn't feel, like, the Banff course is slightly uphill for the first half. It's an out and back. So, you you actually run a little over nine kilometers out, turn around, run nine kilometers back. And then there's an additional loop that they add on to the end so that you finish like, cause the finish line is not right where the start is. It's on a different road. So you kind of run like through this park. And, um, 
I like that. I thought the like it was nice to have a little bit of incline. It's undulating. It's the mountain, so you get a little bit of elevation. But um, felt really good. Um, like through the turnaround, like really no fatigue at all, other than like you know what you would expect running like a quick nine or ten k. I felt like my heart rate was really in control. Like some of the quicker training runs I've done when there's any kind of elevation or something, I feel like I have to kind of like regain t- control of my breathing and my heart rate and stuff like that. And it never really happened. Um, it was actually about at the, like about nine or 10 kilometers in, not quite halfway. I kind of realized like you're, I'm feeling really, really good. And I'm running uphill. Like, so I started thinking to myself, like, you know, there's, there comes a, usually comes a point in a, a half marathon or a marathon where like, it's like an oh shit moment. Like this kind of hurts. <laughs> and speaking from experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like 2018. I feel like is unfair because I was totally untrained prepared. I think your oh shit moment was when you signed up in 2018. Yeah, that's true. Um, But I never really had that. And so I realized at like nine or 10 kilometers, I was like, you know, I just kind of started repeating to myself, like you're like you're crushing this. You are crushing this. You are going to crush this. Like, because I knew that as soon as I made that turnaround at nine and a half kilometers, it was, you know, with the exception of like a few undulations, it was fairly like a gradual downhill. And so, um, you know, I kind of like grabbed onto that and I was, you know, I always kind of talk to myself when I'm running or I try to, even when it gets hard, it's, I try to stay in control of what I let go through my head. Um, and it's usually like, it's supposed to be hard. Like you're in control, stay in control, control your breathing, stuff like that. Um, and I was still doing that, but it was a lot of like, yeah, you're crushing this. You're going to like, you're going to, you're going to beat your goal time. You're going to come in like potentially a minute ahead. Did you feel like you were in like a state of flow? Yes. Cause that's how like I feel when you have, like, I, I remember when I did it in 2018, I don't even remember it. Like, yeah. I don't remember it ever really being hard. I just was so focused and you just keep doing it. And you're like, you've got that confidence where you're just in that, like, like almost med- meditative state. Yeah. But it's like a meditative focus state, intense state. Yeah. You're not like, I think the, the key to being in, you're like, like so tuned in that you're tuned out. Yeah. Because you're like the, the thing with this being in a state of flow and I, I know this because I've experienced it like a couple of times with CrossFit, not not very many. Um, you are like you're tuned in with yourself, like you're very tuned into yourself, but you're not conscious of necessarily like what you're doing. Like it's not the 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 doing the task that you're like you're super aware of. It's bigger than that. It's like a big. It's a big picture thing. You know what I mean? Not Um, really, but it's different for everybody. (laughs) Well, I mean, you can't, if you become too aware of what you're doing, you start thinking about like your steps and your stride and like where your foot's landing. Like like what, like the specific things that hurt. Yeah. It's just kind of like everything is dull, but super focused. Yeah. But like, like everything is dull. So you can like hone in on like doing what you need to do. Right. And that's, I think one of the, the reasons why I really like this Banff course is that um it seems to be at least for me over the weekend was the perfect environment to kind of like 
tune in but tune out Mm -hmm. because there's a ton there's a lot to look at you're running through the like you're running through national park um you know with the rain it just it felt very like just earthy you have the like mountain air and like you know you're up at i mean you're at elevation but you don't really feel like you're at elevation um yeah so that's i was definitely experiencing that kind of a flow state um i will say the flow state was brought to an abrupt hot this is kind of funny um i was reading the course like the course etiquette and race info a couple days before the race and they're talking about all the stuff that you know is normally in those things you know course etiquette how to be passed how to pass like things to do on the course things not to do on the course like you're in a national park please don't throw your wrappers on the ground that kind of stuff um and then i read i scrolled down and there was a picture of a train and it says this course does cross the um what's the name of the canadian the canadian pacific railway cpr yeah um it does cross that they're like in the event like you know our race organizers are aware of the train schedule in the event that there is a train there are timing mats so you cross the timing mat and you're held before the train and then once the train is clear you resume racing and that period of time is subtracted from your chip time it happens automatically and for some reason as soon as i read that i was like i i bet this happens to me and um sure enough (laughs) we were i was running with this um this guy and we we were together for the pat for the last like six kilometers or so and we were coming up to the railway crossing crossing the Um, railway crossing railway crossing and you hate railways they're the worst um (laughs) i heard it (laughs) before i saw it um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is that accent what are we doing <laughs> i don't know but it's like it reminds me of something <laughs> yeah i can't put my finger on it so uh the twain uh, it we if we had been 20 seconds faster to that point we would have we would have not get, gotten caught so it sucked because you were running up to it and the guy was like damn it and you know i think i said something similar and he was like i hate i hate stopping and of course like everyone hates stopping in at 18 kilometers, which is where that train was. There's only three kilometers left. You don't want to start running again. And that's exactly what it felt like. We were stopped for a couple of minutes and people kept piling up behind us, piling up behind us. Cause everybody's just getting caught. Right. Some people like I look back and it was like, they saw the train and then they started walking and I was like, you idiots. Like there's a timing. Yeah. Mat. I bet you a lot of people don't read that full race package. I like, yeah. I, I didn't sprint to it, but I didn't slow down at all. Yeah. Um, so anyways. You should have tried to like beat the train. <laughs> the f- They had a picture of someone like running across the trail. Really? That's hilarious. Yeah. They were like, don't do this. But I was like, if I had been a little faster, I would have done that. Because um, there's no arms or anything to go around. Yeah. You have to wait on that. So um, we weren't quite that fast. But anyways, all these people piled up behind us. And it's also where the trail narrows again. Mm-hmm. So as soon well, as the there train... There weren't that many people. No, but it's there's like, a difference what? between... 10 people, 20 max? Probably, yeah, like 15 to 20. Okay, people are probably picturing like 100 people. Well, no, but there's there were only big... like 300 people in the half marathon. 
Uh, I think there was actually closer to 600. Oh, okay. According they, the, to my... We weren't sure. The announcers were saying stuff, but we weren't sure. Yeah, you can look. I think it was 600. Okay. Um, so anyways, but this trail, like after the railway, after the, the train crossing, it's a trail where you can run two wide, maybe three if you're shoulder to shoulder. So now you have 20 people all together in this one portion of the trail trying to go. And it was kind of annoying because there were people who were way back, like trying to jockey like get up front but i'm like you're like you're 90 you're two minutes behind like what are you doing trying to get in front of people who were two minutes ahead of you like so you beat you were saying you beat my time against all odds oh i don't know if that's that's the case uh it was a tough restart and then just kind of a like a anxiety inducing crowd that was mm-hmm. right there and then it kind of stretched out um you thought that something bad had happened at that point i was because i was waiting just after the train yeah. I didn't hear any train. Hmm. So, um, based on my timing, I was thinking, well, she's effed it up. <laughs> I thought you had, were just off pace. Yeah. Cause you had come by me and you were according to my time about two minutes off pace, which is possible. Yeah. It wasn't out of the realm of yeah. possibility. And so every time somebody came around the corner and it wasn't you, the three of us, uh, me and or my parents and I were like oh no and at one point my mom was like come on Meredith <laughs> but then I ran by you did you notice the big pause though yeah and we <laughs> sat there and we're like this is so odd long break in between people and then like a huge group from like wow what a big group <laughs> And it didn't dawn on you that it was a train until like I ran by because I would I would it didn't I didn't even understand anything you were saying to me because I said there was a train I didn't hear that I knew you were trying to tell me something but I was so distracted at trying to get a photo of you I didn't hear it which like epic photo because you got me right in the middle of the word train (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that was um, that was how that happened but then there was there was a girl who had come up behind me while we were waiting and she maybe like. 90 seconds behind 60 to 90 before she caught up Mm -hmm. and then she was running right behind me when we restarted like she had kind of like got got up to the front with me and it was so annoying because i was like if this if this chick makes me sprint in like more than i'm already gonna like pick up my pace if i have to like all out sprint to beat her i'm gonna be really pissed off why would you need to sprint to beat her like to just look like you've beaten her because you wouldn't have actually lost to her well, yeah, I would have raced her in just for like, because who, who wouldn't do that? Would you not do that? No, I probably would. Yeah, you would. I was like, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to have to like all out sprint the last 100 meter. That is not, that's not the mood I'm in. Like I was planning on speeding up, but not like. Because sprint. nobody at the finish would have known that you were caught by the train. So they might say, oh, there's Meredith. She finished third overall. Yeah. And look, she didn't even try to get second what yeah. a what a waste of a person i know and i didn't want to i get that i get what me. you're saying but um so we were coming around like the line she was right there with me she was ahead of me at one point like i was just kind of following her um and then i got around her on a turn and we were probably in the last 200 meters i kept like looking back to see if she was there and she was and she said i'm not gonna race you you earned this like but let's go. You didn't tell me that. I thought I did tell you that. Cause then I, I'm like 200 meters from the finish and I'm like, there's a girl behind you. Yeah. No, we had already discussed it. 
<laughs> but she she made it clear she's like i'm not she wasn't interested in cruising in mm-hmm. she's like i'm just i'm not gonna race you but we gotta go yeah and so um and you were like oh shit <laughs> i mean i was planning on running in quick but yeah so that was that would made me happy and it was a good way to finish um so yeah and like body wise i didn't have anything bothering me like i think towards the end when you pick up the pace to like a sub you know four to run it in like my ham my hamstrings started getting quite fatigued but most importantly i crossed the finish line and did not have the same reaction as i did in 2018 which was f this i'm never doing this again yeah i think i crossed and i kind of you know that was hard got a gatorade or two and a muffin and waited for vanessa to run in yeah one of my clients um also ran the half and her goal time was sub two hours and um she came in a lot earlier than expected we were waiting kind of in the finish area and everybody else was on like camera duty and i was just waiting and i looked i looked at the time and it was like 153 and i'm like i got i'm just gonna run to the porta potties and the porta potties were like right near the finish and i come out of the porta potty <laughs> she was basically right there and i was like i came out cheering for her. like i had i had because i was a little further up and i had gotten pictures of her and i turn around as she's running by and i just see alex like sprinting out of a porta potty like come on vanessa i was like that is what i wish i had gotten on film that was hilarious. but i saw her finish and that was the most important thing yeah and she did great she came, she was like fourth overall for her age group um uh, I was second overall for females. And then, so my goal for this was to come top five overall and then win my age group. Um, and of course I looked it up and the girl who won with like an 88 minute, mm-hmm. which is just blazing. Uh, she's in my age group. So <laughs> good for her. second overall and second in my age group. The best part about her is she looked when she walked over to the start line she looked like she had just like walked out of a coffee shop, like very unassuming, mm-hmm. which I guess a, like a lot of runners are like that. Yeah. But, but you probably look unassuming for a runner too. I mean, I look like a meatball mm-hmm. with, yeah, people, I don't um, think I'd look like a runner. So the day before the marathon or the half marathon, I put up a story on Instagram and it basically, it was a poll and it was, Will Meredith beat my my PR time of like one thirty four fifty whatever it was? Yes or no? Hmm. It was on tactic, I think. Yeah, and I think seventeen percent of people said no. She's not going to beat your time. Which, like, I f- I feel like people have been following along. They know I'm training for this. They know it's my goal to beat you. I was kind of surprised by that number that there were that many people. You said no, but jokes on you guys. I, I always do better when I think that people, when I think someone's doubting me, this has been the case my entire life with just like the way that my brain works. It's, I kind of go through life with a bit of a, like a chip on my shoulder. It's like everything, school, work, athletics, Like it, it is motivating to me to feel like I'm beating the odds or like doing something that I, I shouldn't be doing, you know, or, or defying expectations or things like that. Um, 
and yeah, it, even if, even if I know that it's not the case, I have to like fabricate it a little bit in my head. Like I need to, I need to like Michael Jordan. Yeah. I need to believe on some level that someone out there is like, no, nah, she can't do it. She can't do that. She can't run a 134. She can't go to the CrossFit games. Like hand to the Lord. I, I told myself in 2014 when I had absolutely no business thinking this, I'm going to go to the CrossFit games. And like, I was not good in 2014, but I, I needed to like, to make that goal so that I could create this mental space where like, I knew that everyone around me or a lot of people were thinking like, she's not going to make it. What the hell? But I, I like, I, I need, I need that. I need that. So what if you didn't have it? What if 0% of people didn't doubt you? You would have to make it up. Yeah. Or like pick, pick someone and have a rivalry with them. Like, so like talk about that in more like an academic career setting. uh, Because you've had, you've had success there. Yeah. So yeah, I guess academically, like I was, uh, I wouldn't say that I was like super gifted, but um, I, you know, I just, I made, I made that my goal. Like I really wanted to achieve, I, I really wanted to get into a big school, like a big division one, like, <coughs> uh, UNC system school. And then I wanted to achieve there. And when I kind of made the, the, when I pivoted away from like pre-vet and like, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you know, it's going to take you five years to graduate undergrad now. And I was like, (laughs) no, it's not. So it got out in four years and, um, you know, had the wrong degree really to go and work for the company that I worked for. Like they just didn't hire people like me. They hired like strictly chemical engineers and that was the way that they did things. And, uh, I was like, no, but you're going to hire me. (laughs) I'm not a chemical engineer, but you're going to hire me. Like, cause it doesn't matter. So it's like, you have a lot of, you have people doubting you, but a lot of confidence in yourself. Yeah. Um, because I know what I'm capable of. I know what I can do if I set my mind to it. Cause I've been doing it my whole life. Like I, I make a decision that I want to do something and that's all it takes really. And then it's, <clears throat> you know, I do whatever it takes both from a, you know, a work ethic standpoint and actually putting in the work. And then, you know, from a, academic career standpoint, I, I did a, I put a lot of work into building a network and making connections with people who could open doors for me. And that's really important. Um, in my field specifically, like, because I wanted, I wanted to go work for the company I wanted to work for. I knew that I, I needed help to do that. And so it, it was not only work academically, but work to go out at like, get out of my comfort zone and, and make connections and network with professionals and people who, you know, I knew if I made a good impression on them that they would help me. Okay. So how does failure play into this? Like you talk about like, Oh yeah, it all, all it takes is to like make a decision and you'll, you'll achieve it. But like there's failure along the way. So like, do you ever like actually doubt yourself? Um, yeah. I mean, like technically I've never done an interview for a job that I didn't get a job offer for. Yeah. But you like, you failed at getting to the CrossFit games. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess I, 
I was able to, I mean, I've been able to reframe failure pretty easily my whole life. So it's, it's really on, only a failure if you fail to learn from the experience. And so I'm able to consider outcomes objectively for the most part and self-assess. So I think that's where a lot of people struggle when they fail. They're not willing to step in front of a mirror and really like, like take a hard look and ask like what, you know, what caused this? What could you have done better? Because I think for people, you know, athletics, academics, executive level people, there's kind of this deep rooted feeling of uh, not inadequacy. It's not inadequacy in the way that like you would consider it on a psychological, psychological level, but there's always this feeling of like, not, I'm not doing enough. And I think that never goes away. It's never gone away for me. It's like, I still have that feeling. Okay. But I would <clears throat> like, I would argue, cause I've only, I've only known you for like a period of time in your life. And like, I've seen growth from you, like in, I can't remember the year 2000. 17 yeah or no 16 you talked about I think you you told me about your experience at that regionals and how you really let like the first the second the third event like really 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 get to you to the point where like it was really hard for you to turn that around like the fact that you didn't have success on event one impacted event two like this is like you haven't always been like oh I've you know I can objectify failure I can learn from it like that's you've learned how to do that yeah and I I like I even learned how to do it on that weekend because day yeah. three came around and I was like well like you know we're just I gotta let go of of the outcome here and day three ended up being phenomenal and I finished top 10 uh so yeah I guess that's you know pressure plays a role and expectation that you put on yourself plays a role. And um, I've certainly learned to to be better. Um, I've, I've definitely failed at that. Even after the 2018 games, I struggled with that. And I let it really sour my training for almost a year because I had not let go of the expectations that I placed on myself. But... You know, I I think at at my core, who I am as a person allows me to be successful despite having failure because I am capable of using failures to inform modifications in my approach moving forward. And that's been the case. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting. Um, I was talking about this to my mom when you were out running the other day and like you and I are very different and I can touch on that, but I think there are a lot of people out there. I mean, I see it from a nutrition standpoint and I think, I don't even know if we've talked about this on the podcast. I'm sure we have to some degree, but I do think that the fact that there is potential for failure deters a lot of people from like chasing a goal whether it, it's si it's actually signing up for a half marathon and like putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable like the fear of failure is so overwhelming that it stunts like your growth as a person 
Like you can't even learn from failure because you don't even put yourself in a position where you can fail. Mm. For me, and we were laughing about this the other day, like we've achieved a lot of the same things kind of along the way, like a lot of academic success, a lot of athletic ex- success. Um, we both kind of got our dream jobs to, you know, high, high level jobs in our careers right at the beginning, um, made it to the CrossFit games. We kind of, we've had success in running more recently, but it's interesting cause I've kind of gone through my life in a completely different way, completely hmm. different motivation. And I don't know if it's because like I've, and I'm not saying that you didn't, but I, I love sports so much. I love learning so much that I kind of go into things like, oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to see what I can do. Like the first time I ran a marathon, I hadn't, I, I didn't even set a goal of th- sub 3.30 until the night before. I was just like, I'll see how fast I can go. And then my mom was like, well, you need to, let's pace this out. <laughs> and I, it was kind of like, well, maybe sub four hours. What, what would that be? Yeah. And then we kind of, you know, figured it out. And then, you know, even, <clears throat> even, um, like I work hard and I try to do my best always, always, always. Um, but even the half marathon in 2018, there was no goal. I was just like, I'm going to go see what I can do. Yeah. Um, and getting to the games was the same way. I never had the goal of making it to the CrossFit games. I had the goal after I made it to the CrossFit games to get back because I enjoyed it. And that just meant like training for the train, training as hard as I could and delaying, um, my career like a year but I never I was just I went into regionals every year like I'm gonna see what I can do I never had a goal at regionals other than to do my best yeah it was and that's still that's still the case like I just I want to do my best and you set small goals and at the end of regionals if I didn't make it yeah there's like a sense of like I I fell short my best fell short of of the goal whether that goal was even set by me, I don't know. But it's just, it's interesting, the motivation, mm-hmm. how different it can be for two two different people who are sim- very similar. On paper. On paper. Yeah. Like, I've never done anything to prove somebody wrong. Never. But you've also never had a reason to prove somebody wrong. Yeah, maybe no one's ever doubted me. Yeah. But I think I grew up with, you know, I I could have been someone who you looked at in high school and, you know doubted that I would have a a decent outcome in life yeah and like that I don't even think I knew when it was happening why I think I mean like I you know I think I dealt with some anger issues as a as a teenager and young adult and that you know the reasons for that I don't really know I'll have to talk to my therapist about that but I think that it's a like a multifaceted issue for me but I think for a long time I I did deal with like feeling a little bit inadequate. Mm-hmm. Like I needed to to prove something to people because in proving something to other people I was also proving something to myself. And then it morphed over time where like it became more about proving something to myself. And then it became I know I can do this, so I'm going to show you. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like e- even when you said I and a lot of, you know, high level executives or people feel like they're often not doing enough. Like, I've never felt like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I can do more. I guess that's probably the better way to put it. Is yeah, that there's, like, there's always I, something that can be done. Always something more that can be done. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, you, you get a B and I don't feel like, oh, I'm inadequate. It's like, 
but you know, an A is still on the table. Let's shoot, shoot for that next time. Yeah. And like, I'm a solid B student, so nothing wrong with B's. <laughs> B's de- get degrees. I think actually the, the, the term is C's get degrees. C's do get degrees too. We're not C people. We're no. B people. But, um, yeah, just kind of like a bit of a interest. We, we discovered this on the way home. I was talking about Meredith and that we were, you know, it was on the drive home from picking up her her race package from Banff. She was running two days later and we were having this this conversation. I think and the it's important just, it's super interesting, I think. Thing yeah, and you you mentioned this is like you can have an abundance of confidence, which I I would say I I kind of go through life with a with a lot of confidence. I think you have to if in your situation. Like I said, like if you didn't then you wouldn't be you wouldn't well you probably develop confidence with every time you prove somebody wrong, which is frequently, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, and I, I like, I'll, I'll, I have a lot of confidence and I don't like, I spend a lot of time reading and learning and like, I have this weird, like memory for information and like, it's rare that I'm wrong about something. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but, but you know (laughs) what I mean? Um, I'm definitely right when it comes to our arguments. Okay. So you're usually wrong in that scenario. But our arguments are dumb and we shouldn't be having them. But it, anyways, I think what's important, you said this, is like there, there's a limit to that. And it's like as soon as you allow your ego to be involved, like it's I have a lot of confidence, but I wouldn't say I have a lot of ego. Yeah, there needs to be a balance. Like you need to be able to check yourself. Like before you, I mean, you have to hedge your bets Yeah, everything. Like you're not going to, I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, I want to be a professional singer. You know, someone said I couldn't Mm. be a professional singer. Like, hmm, I'm going to see what I can do and like maybe I can get there. Yeah. Hell no. Because I'm like, (laughs) okay, I look at things and I'm like, there's no way. Um, But that's not necessarily as far as like fear of failure. Yeah. It's like, different. it's hedging your bet. It's like, okay, do I want to invest my time in this? Do I want to take away from something that I actually have a better chance achieving? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying there, are, I'm sure there are people out there who are, you know, maybe it's the ones who their parents tell them like, you can be anything you want, <laughs> you know, with enough hard work, you yeah. can achieve anything. My mom told me early on, like that is bullshit. <laughs> it truly is bullshit. Yeah. And I think she actually used the singing. Yeah. The like, singing. No matter what you do. <laughs> no matter what you do, you will never be a professional singer. And that hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> Was that your dream? I used to sing a really good Enrique Iglesias hero in the car. Oh. I'm, I butchered that name, but. Enrique. Enrique. You do Iglesias. really bad with the Spanish I R's. don't. I'm really really bad at accents yeah I'm not a language person either well that's not an accent that's a pronunciation fair enough yep see that's me being correct but i i think i guess the takeaway is like yeah i just there was a there yeah i don't know what the takeaway is there was there's kind of a lot of what's interesting i think to juxtapose the the way that people are you know, to, to talk about the executives and people who are very, very highly successful. And there's kind of this commonality of there's more that can be done. I should be doing more. And that's a theme. That's like, that's common. 
you're that way i'm that way probably every like silicon valley executive is that way i like how you're comparing us to silicon valley executives i realized when i said that i should not have made <laughs> hey, that i'll leap, take it but you know what i mean yeah um you never know tactic could make it make it big yeah i don't, I don't know how we get to silicon valley but we'll explore that you know and then there's a group there's a population of people who who deep who believe deeply that they are doing enough and you're like no you should be doing more from an outsider's perspective based on the goals that they have set out for themselves Mm -hmm. and it's just it's interesting to see how that plays out for people and the different attitudes and like you know we we talk to tons and tons of people online um you know via text message and it's interesting to see the the patterns develop and and you know we have a lot of experience in both of us coached crossfit a fair amount especially you and you can I, it, it, it's really anything in life it's and we've been in in school with people i mean from elementary school to law school there there are people where you're looking at them and they're like you know <laughs> they finish studying and they're like i studied a lot and then they get you know they're like a c student yeah and and they're fine with that. And that that's that like, oh, I, I, can, I can't study anymore. Like, I can't do, like, but then you have somebody who gets A's and they're like, oh, I only got an A. I need to get an A plus. Or I still got one question wrong. I should have studied more. Yeah. It's weird. It's like the people who do the most are the ones who feel like they need to do more. Yeah. And it's the same in nutrition. It's like the ones who are having the most success are the ones who are like, but I feel like I can do more. And then you have the people who, aren't really having success but they're like oh but i'm not you know i'm not eating mcdonald's on tuesdays anymore that's a lot you know that's better than what i was doing before yeah and that's fair it is better and you work with those people you want everyone to have their own um version of success and it differs in every area of life but at this it i guess it's more just uh an observation yeah it 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 it's interesting. It's even in fitness, it's like, Oh, I work out so much. And it's the person who's doing, you know, not really enough, not really enough of the right things, not really pushing very hard. I don't know what, I don't know what they're comparing themselves to. Maybe their old selves, you know, Oh, I'm, you know, that guy doesn't, my, a lot of my friends at work don't even work out. Yeah. The fact that I go to CrossFit once a week is really good. But then you have people on the other end of the spectrum who are training, you know, 10, 15 hours a week. And they're like, I need to be training more harder. I'm not making progress <laughs> yeah. fast enough. Like, of course people fall in the middle, 100%. But these people on the extremes. It's so interesting. It's super interesting because that's the pattern that I see. There's a balance between like recognizing that you're making progress and you're doing better than you used to do while still maintaining the drive to do better. Mm-hmm. It's the drive to do better that becomes an issue because some people think, well, you know, last year I would have not worked out at all or I would have like had you know 20 beers this week instead of 12 and like it's really important to recognize that and to to pat yourself on the back but it can't stop there because the the second that it stops there now progress is halted and like a reversal of behavior becomes more likely like there always has to be a drive to continue to improve Mm mm-hmm and that, I mean, that comes, like, we could talk all day about the, the psychology of behavior change and, like, what systems need to be in place for that to happen. 
Um, but just, yeah, it's interesting. Do you want to talk? We actually have a, a certain topic we wanted to talk about. Um, like and how it, delaying gratification. Yeah. And that kind of plays in. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's again, when people are trying to make in God, the, the gratification goal or topic really transcends nutrition, fitness, health. Like it, it, you can, you can talk about the problem with instant gratification with any success and finance, academic, professional. Like it's, it's such an interesting, um, topic, but really there's so much value in, in delaying gratification and making, and I know we don't, we don't really like to use the word sacrifices, but I think within the context of, you know, we're going to make today less satisfying than it could be from a whatever pleasure standpoint. That's the best way to put it so that we prolong or make the, you know, make it more likely that the future is more enjoyable or better. Yeah. Whatever that is. So the other day I was on Instagram and I saw a post and it said, um, if you want to do something that you don't have a desire to do in the moment. Instead of thinking about the action, think about the feeling after you've completed the uh, event or whatever. So for example, if it's a workout, if you don't want to do a workout, don't think, oh God, and like imagine yourself working out and it being hard and taking up time and just feeling exhausting. Imagine yourself being done the workout. And like the sense of satisfaction, the endorphins, <laughs> you know, the shower and the meal and just yeah, being done with it and, and having, yeah, sense of satisfaction I think is the big one there. But it can even be like, it can be the act of not doing something. Mm-hmm. It yeah, goes the yeah, same way. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, but I was, I said to Meredith, uh, I'm like, this is kind of, this is exact. This is how I go through my entire life. Like it's, it's, I always think, okay, what is it going to be like when this, when I do this or don't do this? Yeah. I'm very much a planner. Like I, I don't ever procrastinate. Like it's just, I'm not bragging. It's just like the way I am. And it, it's to a fault. <laughs> <laughs> like I like write, I will do an email at like 9 30 PM. Cause I'm like, I don't want to wait. And like, I just like doing, you know? Yeah. Um, But I, like it, it made us, it made me think back to when I, um, was learning some, I think I was in behavioral psychology. We learned about the marshmallow experiment and it was a study done on four-year-olds and it's, it's so interesting because it's so relevant in, like you said, every single aspect of, of life, more notably in nutrition and fitness because that's you know i would say it's actually most notable in finance yeah actually it's probably everything yeah um but i'll just explain the study for those of you aren't who aren't familiar so if you actually if you just look up marshmallow experiment you'll you'll get a ton of stuff um but it was done in the 1960s and 70s at stanford and what they did was they presented four-year-olds with one marshmallow and then they told that child 
you have two options. You can eat the marshmallow whenever you want or wait until the experimenter returns, which would be about 15 minutes later, and you would get two marshmallows. So the message was small reward now or bigger reward later. Some children broke down and ate the marshmallow um, and then some were able to delay gratification and earn two marshmallows. Um, The most interesting result of that study, and that was determined much later, um, these children who were tested were re-evaluated as teenagers and adults. And the ones who were able to delay gratification um, had higher SAT scores, uh, social competence, self-assuredness, self-worth, were rated by their parents as more mature, better able to cope with stress, more likely to plan ahead, more likely to use reason. Um, They were less likely to have drug problems, other addictive behaviors, get divorced, or be overweight. They actually... um, each minute that the preschooler was able to delay gratification translated to a 0.2% reduction in body mass index 30 years later. That's super interesting. So really what you're testing there and like kids basically have no like long-term foresight. It's really difficult because they don't like their prefrontal frontal cortex isn't developed. So you're asking a kid to think 15 minutes in a future. That's like, that's asking, that's like asking the adult to think forward. Like, I don't know, a year. Yeah. And like, if you, if you look at the the details of the study and you do a little bit more research and there have been studies since, this is obviously a very long, longitudinal study. Um, But they, you know, they look at the the details of things like, you know, did the child trust the experimenter and like all of these things, of course, like, you know, science is always trying to debunk itself, I guess. for As it should. um, And so, you know, it's not the, the most, tight tight yeah study. It's, it's got its There's, limitations and so it's worth pointing that out but for like this is a very 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 famous study yeah and the results are pretty striking yeah so really you're like you, they're able to predict early in childhood like essentially impulse impulse control and um and how that like plays out i was adult. i was joking i said if i was I was a a child, a four-year-old in the study. I probably would never have eaten a marshmallow ever again. Yeah, you'd just be hoarding marshmallows. You'd be a 32-year-old with like bags and bags of marshmallows. It's incredible. Yeah, I guess, so one of the major predictors in our society anyways of success, um, the the number one is IQ, it's intelligence. And then um, number two is trait consciousness. And so trait consciousness is... um, I guess like a person's tendency to like be responsible, organized, hardworking, goal directed, adhere to societal norms. So it's, it's basically if you, if you have that trait, if you have those traits innate to your being, it makes going through life way easier because you really don't have to, to work hard to develop those as hard, you know, I mean, it, it probably does matter to an extent, you know, what type of family you're raised in, like schooling, all of this stuff. It oh, matters. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But 
um, you know, at four years old, that's pretty compelling. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about how this is playing out now in society, like, you know, you have an instant gratification device in your hand almost at all times. And so I guess, you know, researchers are starting to, you know, social psychologists are starting to look into the impact of Instagram and Twitter and all this instant feedback stuff. You know, what impact does that have on, on our society today? And so, um, you know, I guess there's some research that says creative thinking doesn't start until 15 minutes of like boredom or, um, you know, lack of exposure to a stimulus. So you can like, how many people go, yeah. How many people go 15 minutes without looking at their phone, computer, TV, not that many. So it probably is like starting to have an impact on our creative thinking as a species. And then, um, you know, it affects our spending patterns. It affects, you know, we can get Amazon Prime next day. You can get, you can get same day. Oh man. You can get I groceries delivered. I love Amazon Prime. I know, but imagine like, imagine that you don't have the the restraint with your spending that, you know, that you do. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess. I'm a cheapskate. There's some, you know, I think the, the majority of, or some crazy percentage of Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings account and people are spending on credit out of control and it's because you can get whatever you want exactly when you want it and that has interesting effects and so um i was listening to this guy talk and he said he said uh he asked people for for you know one one week or one day to carry around with them a notepad. And so first thing is you, you turn all the notifications on your phone off, like email notifications, social media notifications off. Um, and then in the notepad, you make a mark each time you go onto your phone to check social media, uh, or email. And then at the end of the day, you dedicate a few hours to count those up. (laughs) That's his joke, not mine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then each day for, the next week you you aim to reduce that number by five and so five fewer like phone checks until you're you know obviously at the end of the week or two week period it's quite a bit less but it does a few things it it demonstrates it, it, it identifies the problem um which is the the desire mm-hmm. which is really important so the first thing that you become aware of when you start trying to become aware of how often you're seeking out instant gratification on social media, the first thing you become aware of is the behavior itself because you have to be aware of it to track it. Um, and then the second thing is it allows you to immediate allows you immediately allows you to track progress, which we know is super important for changing behavior. So if we, we say we want to, we've set out to change the behavior of like social media addiction, that's a great way to track it. Um, you know, and then number three, I think, is it allows for, you know, long-term, like you can look at progress over the long-term. Like imagine you go on your phone. I don't, I don't even know I, if I had to ballpark what a normal number is. I have no idea. A couple hundred times a day. Like, what do you think it is? I don't, I, I imagine the number is just 
It's way It's got to be just so surprisingly high. But imagine I don't you even want to guess that, because it would just be so pathetic. Let's just call it a hundred. I would say it's like a thousand. Yeah. But imagine you can you take think about that, how many minutes are in the day. But how many minutes it are depends going on your to job that. too. Yeah. But yeah. So you reduce that by <laughs> a thousand. A thousand. If you can reduce Dude, that they think by two hours is 120 minutes. I know. So yeah, a thousand is probably on the high side. It is. Um, but if you can reduce <laughs> that by Not a numbers person, 50 to 75 percent. Mm-hmm. That's a massive time improvement. Yeah. And like imagine like imagine the the repercussions or the you know the benefits of that transcending into other areas of your life. So, um yeah, it's interesting. I think with regards to like to bring it back to like health and fitness and nutrition, you know, the instant gratification thing, we feel that and we see it because people want results and they want results fast. And that's, that can be weight loss results. It can be people that walk into the gym and they want to look like, you know, their trainer who's been working out for 20 or 25 years. And it's like, no, you don't, you can't like, unless you have freaky genetics, like that's a, a a time, that's a time thing. You got to be okay with, with really delaying gratification to make physical change of any kind. And I'm talking about delaying gratification for years. I think when most people think about changing their body and they, they think about, you know, what they think they should be able to do in three months, I bet you that's, that's more likely to be a three year goal, maybe even longer. Yeah. I think that, um, it's funny people who don't understand how the body works and like how nutrition and fitness impact the body. I've had a couple clients like this and it's it's the body. And, um, they, okay. So when you drink alcohol, alcohol dehydrates you. What? And so like you can drink one night and everyone knows alcohol has calories and like causes you to get fat. If you drink poison, it's, it's a lot of calories. Yeah. So like alcohol kind of gets a bad rap for when you want to lose weight. It's got whatever. So I had a client who would drink every weekend and on Monday would say, well, I lost one for 0.5 pounds. It's a miracle. And I'm like, and so people like that, or, and that's just, that's just one example in, in like <laughs> that positive reinforcement just like messes you up. It's not even positive. Re- I mean, it is. It I is. Guess. It's, it's like, like, it's like, oh, it's okay to drink. Cause I'll actually, I won't gain weight. It's like the one metric you want to see. Change. But again, it's like, you don't, you're not thinking long term here. You're not like understanding what this impact is having. Yeah. It's like, it's like taking a hundred dollars out of your bank account every single day, but only, only looking at it and comparing the it day to day rather than comparing it over the course of a month or two months or three months or a year. Yeah. That's a problem with weight loss. Anyway, back to the, um, you're looking at me. Did that make any sense? It did. Okay. Yeah. It was, I love your analogies. I love you go when you go on an analogy. Um, okay. Back to the, the marshmallow because you know, we're talking about, uh, instant gratification and, we're nutrition coaches and we talk about nutrition a lot. Instant gratification in nutrition is a really big problem. 
Mm-hmm. It's not even a nutrition. It's life. It's just like you go out for dinner and you want to eat the donut. The donut's there. You want to eat it. You want to order the nachos. The nachos are in front of you because your friend orders them. How do you refrain from eating the nachos? How do you stop at half a bag of chips? Ew. So interestingly, these these kids, as a four-year-old, not eating a marshmallow is pretty tough. <laughs> and some of them, they used what they call hot and cool strategies. So a cool strategy um, in terms of this example would be directing an attention to a symbol of the reward and focusing on like the abstract or distracting yourself. So the kids who delayed gratification, they would hide under the table, they would cover their eyes, they would sing, they would imagine the marshmallow is a different food that they didn't like. Four-year-olds were doing this. And to be clear, all of these <laughs> things are acceptable as adults when you're in. Totally. Store. Or so, for example, they would see, they would imagine the marshmallow as a cotton ball. So cotton ball isn't appetizing at all. No. A hot strategy would be imagining the taste or the smell, <laughs> you know, or the, yeah. even the sound of biting into a marshmallow. And... that that is actually a pretty a pretty great strategy for adults yeah the using your imagination using your imagination like i don't think and i'm i'm guilty of this like i went a really long time without really enjoying food because i was so um focused on sports and things like that and like performance especially when I first started CrossFit um I was kind of on the other end of the spectrum and so like you don't you don't always want to be imagining food that you enjoy as a cotton ball or these like objects that aren't food you should definitely find the middle ground and be able to enjoy food but there needs to be you need to be able to look down the line how are you going to feel tomorrow if I eat this food and how do I prevent myself from eating it if I decide I don't want to eat it? You know? Yep. And this is a good strategy. It's like a cool, use a cool strategy. Yeah. I think in moments, I think, and, like you said, if if that kind of thing becomes chronic and dominating, yeah. like now we're dealing with mm, some disordered Absolutely. patterns. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're trying to develop new behavior and you can't control social social situations to a point where those can be like eliminated or you can you know not go to things and you know you're going to have to be around food that you don't want to eat because those foods don't align with your goals that you have right now then using those strategies is 100 percent appropriate and um it serves the, the greater goal of you know kind of that and i know we've talked about this before with like the the pleasure trap you you need to have a period of kind of like almost sensory deprivation yeah time away from those foods yeah so that you can re your your pleasure centers and and your brain kind of recalibrates to what you know what's normal instead of what's you know hyper palatable yeah and in this case you're actually using two different two different um brain 
areas. Mm -hmm. So like there's the pleasure center, which is eating, we're like eating sex. It's like that, you you know, it's where instant, instant gratification is kind of fueled. It's our like our primal like like, monkey cells. I want to have sex with this woman right now. When you have, you're already in a relationship. It's like, go and do that now. I want that (laughs) now. Whereas like if you switch, if you can switch over to using your like logical area, which is the prefrontal cortex, then you're using a completely different area of your brain and thinking like, okay, wait, yeah, hold up. Should I actually have sex with this person? What are the, like, what are the repercussions going to be here? Do I need to eat this food? Because how shitty am I going to feel tomorrow? Should I maybe stop at one drink? Things like that. And so it's, it's really a strategy. You don't even need to think of it as a strategy of like, oh, how do I not eat this food? It's thinking of it like, how do I use a different part of my brain here? How do I learn to, to like change my behavior Yeah, from the kind of the ground up, from like the, the very, I mean, obviously you can't change the way your brain works, but you can use strategies to make your brain work a little different or yeah. to activate different parts of the brain. And that takes, a, I'm sure, a ton of work. Well, that's the, that you have to practice this stuff because we're biologically wired a certain way. Yeah. There's a reason why we want to have sex with that girl, especially if you're a man, because that means reproduction and things yep. like that. There's a reason why we are inclined to eat high fat, high palatable, high sh- like sugar, high calorically dense palatable foods, because, you know, in the olden days, that stuff wasn't around all the time. And so in order to survive, we needed to get calories in when we could. Yeah. But we don't live in that world anymore. So we need to change our behaviors. Yeah. And that's like to bring it back to the marshmallow study. That's exactly what that study is looking at because, you know, kids rely on amygdala and hypothalamus, which are there to basically drive primal functions mm-hmm. and to keep you alive and to, to regulate hormones and, um, you know, emotions and appetite and sex drive and all of this stuff. The and limbic system. The more the limbic <laughs> system. It's and really sabotaging us. Well, it's there for a really good reason, but like, you know, when you're in a relationship and you want to like, that's a problem, right? I know. If you can't control. In today's day and age, yeah, it's a problem. Um, yeah. So it's, it's that like, and the hypothalamus has these, like it just, it has these like fingers and these ribbons that, that just go way up into the brain and it has so much control over our decision making. So it is, a, it can be a very conscious effort if you, you're in the habit of being a very impulsive person to stop using those parts of your brain and start using your frontal cortex mm-hmm. and thinking long-term and making decisions that benefit future you and not just monkey you. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. I don't really know. Like, obviously there's the strategy that I suggested, but I'm sure, I'm sure as you, as you dive in into this or get, you know, <clears throat> If you really wanted to change, there's probably, I mean, it's probably people who are addicted to things. That's, that's probably a lot of what rehab is. Yeah. It's like reprogramming your brain to some degree. Yeah. Cause you, you get stuck in that loop of like, you know, dopamine and serotonin Mm -hmm. and that's your whole. It's very complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to say that like food. I think they've they've done studies where food exposure can trigger similar releases, but I think that the comparison of a like a food addiction to an actual mm-hmm. like a narcotic addiction is I think they're still quite far apart. Yeah. Um 
so yeah i don't know how we want to wrap this one up but um there's a lot of really cool like behavior science and psychology out there and um it helps you i i was listening to something earlier and it's you know, he made a big point. It really does help to understand some of this stuff if you're trying to change it. So the more you're not like, not like anyone has to be an expert in like brain anatomy and neuroscience and psychology, but it helps to know like, you know, you're what, what makes what you're trying to do hard. Like number one, it's like, it happens to lots of people and there's a really good reason why, like it's, there's a reason. And if you can understand what that reason is, and kind of name your monster type of thing, it becomes easier to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I think. That's what I believe. Yeah. So, um, what do you want to leave everybody with? Um, you look hungry. Do you have any, any issues? Like, oh, I shouldn't call them issues. Like, what do you, what do you crave like instant gratification for? Like what trap do you fall into? Oh, social media. Same. And it's not even like, what's the crazy thing is I'm not really active on social media. Like I don't post a ton. Like I don't make money on social media. Really. I just like, I I'm addicted to the behavior, the having my phone in my hand. And I even moved Instagram off my homepage and that swipe to the second page has become automatic now. Mm -hmm. So I need to do something else. But just like when I'm not thinking about it, I'm on it. And that's like, that's the biggest kind of like negative behavior I think that I have in my life that I would like to get rid of. Um, I mean the, like the M&Ms that are in the cabinet. Like I don't have an M&M problem, but like after a meal, I'm like, mm, I like crave an M&M. Mm-hmm. So I notice it there. And like, I know we've talked about this before. But just the fact that like it has, it bugs me that I have that because I don't like when I feel like things have control over me. And that's also why I don't like the Instagram thing because I know that I'm kind of a slave to it. Mm -hmm. So it is going to be something that I address down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Same. But I think everybody has their things. Um, Ivy, yours? Cranks. Cranks. Or crinkle balls. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Well, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this one. Um, went a little longer than anticipated and we left something out, but we'll bring that something back for a later podcast. Maybe, um, like, and subscribe. If you enjoy the podcast, follow us on Instagram at tactic nutrition. Um, you know where to find us on personal. And if you ever want to hear about a topic, just, uh, shoot us a DM and we'll do our best to, to get it on the podcast. So thanks again.